Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. All right, there it is. I hit the button and we are on fire and I am excited to introduce my guest today. So excited. And I'm not even just saying that. There's so much stuff to talk about. He is a global chief marketing officer, uh, global proportions, which we will talk about, award-winning in the branding side, creative side, digital strategy, media leader. And he builds impossible to ignore brands impossible to ignore and we have some great examples of that formerly the vice president of advertising media digital social at wendy's and yes he is the snarky wendy's guy it's his brainchild we're going to talk about that soon if you don't know about that you will and you'll be laughing today it's awesome um also uh formerly global cmo papa john's maybe was there during some drama and then uh, most recently, CMO, global CMO at Potbelly Sandwiches. And um, and now on to a new adventure, which we can't quite talk about. Brandon Roden, welcome to the show, sir. Good to have you. Good to be here. Thank you. Man, if you do any more, I'm just going to, your intro is going to be like twice as long. <laughs> I'm not done yet. We'll see, we'll, see what, we'll see what happens next. I'm not <laughs> done yet. Well, I'm excited. And I kind of alluded to it in your introduction. We've got social... We've got all sorts of things flying around. You've been at some big brands, some brands that I like to snack on. I told you earlier, I worked at Wendy's when I was a kid and I still eat there. Good brand. And, you, and you've and you been in these different situations. So I'm going to stop talking because you're the star here. And let me pass you this thing. It's kind of heavy, but it looks like you work out. So here we go. Ugh. Okay, here we go. You got it? Thor's hammer? I got it. You got it? I got it. I got it. You didn't realize there was going to be, uh, you know, interactive portion of this podcast that was it that was it just now. um take thor's hammer smash for me some kind of myth bogus strategy misconception just set the record straight once and for all yeah i think one of the biggest myths out there right now is not every brand should be heavy up in social media um, i know that sounds a little strange from the guy who who kind of brought wendy's into the world in social but uh the fact is it's a it's a, a strategy to actually create something larger. Social media in and of itself is not some magical thing that you just need to turn on as a brand. So not every brand needs to be on social media. It's not magic. And I, it, I was literally stopped in my tracks because you, you're the, you've done so many interesting things on social, but you're saying, look, this just even and to hear it from you, it, it really holds weight. This is just a particular strategy that I used at, at, at a particular company. It was right for them. It may not be immediately right for you. So don't just go listen to some you know, BuzzFeed article and decide that you need to do that too. It's exactly right. And, and I'm not saying don't own your handles. I'm not saying don't register your company on Twitter. You should. But, but people put disproportionate amount of time, I think, to whatever's trendy at the moment. And if you're going crazy on TikTok right now, that's great. Have at it. I hope it's fun for you. But if it doesn't actually further some larger brand goal, if it doesn't actually orient around an objective that's bigger than the platform, uh, I would argue you're, you're performing tactics without objectives behind them. And that's just inherently bad marketing. 
Uh, and, and, you know, we could talk about Wendy's for a minute and, and why we went there, but it was part of a larger positioning effort. So we, we had to be there in order to actually achieve our positioning objectives. I didn't have to do that at a lot of the companies I work for. So I didn't. So you, you have right. to pick and choose the platforms you utilize and pick and choose the outlets, the tactical outlets for the objectives you have as a brand. You can't just jump on what's trendy and what's interesting. Yeah. You know what happening right now? Have you heard of Clubhouse? Oh, no kidding, man. I, I signed up for it. I'm getting pinged every 30 seconds on that guy. Um, and, and you know what? Clubhouse is awesome if you if you have a larger objective. So if you want, if your brand needs to be a thought leader, if your brand needs to have two way communication with, you know, other thought leaders, it could make a ton of sense to be on Clubhouse. But you don't just jump on it to jump on it. Now, you may do it to learn and experiment. But you know, I think TikTok's an example and Clubhouse is an example right now. I think, you know, the million messaging apps that are popping up sort of in the wake of, of all the craziness that's been going on, you, you got to make sure there's a larger brand objective behind uh, the, the destination you, you're going to spend time, money and resources on. I don't care how much money you have as a company. If you've got a billion dollar budget, your resources are still finite. Yeah. So to apply, you know, a crazy amount of resources to something just because, you read an article on it, um, not because it connects into something much larger you're trying to achieve, I think is a, a complete waste of time. Yeah, wise words. I love how you put that tactics without objectives, which is what a lot of us, of us do. You know, I've done that. Yeah. And it and, may, and or may not it. work. Yeah, and I get <laughs> it. The urge is to do something, right? And to yeah. show you're doing something and to give some sort of metric associated with what you're doing, a follower count or whatever. We never at Wendy's talk about our follower counts, ever. Really? Not once. It wasn't even important to us. What was important was the larger positioning objective and were we actually achieving that objective and the platforms like Twitter, like Facebook, like, you know, dozens of others we played on were all built around those metrics and those objectives. So I just think, I think I get the urge to do something. I get the urge to take action, but if that action isn't backed by an objective, what's the point? Totally. Totally. I, and I'm, I want to ask you some on the how on that side, but can you tell me the Wendy story? Tell me, yeah. you know, how, how you got in there or how did you even get in there? And then what, what led you to make that call of, of social being the right tactic or what were the objectives, you know, walk us through that story, your approach there. Yeah. So you got to rewind a bit back to 2010, 2011. This is we the put time a rewind when, sound in like, early, yeah, early, hey, early. I'm at it. I'm <laughs> at it. If you, if you got a soundboard, you want to throw uh. something back. But the, uh, you got to rewind back then to when fast food was in a very different spot. You know, this is when pink slime was a thing. This is when kids getting fat from fast food was the thing. This is when Chipotle and five guys were emerging on the scene and taking over sort of the lunchtime fast yeah. food audience. Yeah. So what was happening was fast food wasn't cool. And Wendy's was especially uncool. This back is in 2011, right? Is that when you started? Yeah, 2010, 2011. I started at Wendy's in 2011. Okay. And, you know, at the time, the brand had about a decade of traffic loss kind of racked up. And, and again, all backed by Dave had died and the brand sort of lost its rudder when he, when he died. And then on top of that, all these new emerging sort of fast casuals came in and sort of the zeitgeist began to turn against fast food. So uh, so they, Wendy's brought in a new CEO, a guy named Emil Brolick, a genius, this guy who you know had been at Wendy's before, had been the CEO of Taco Bell. 
And, and part of that sort of wave of, of new, uh, one of the desires was we actually need to understand digital marketing. There was no digital marketing function in the organization. Wow. So yeah. while there was a, a traditional media function, obviously, it was spending hundreds of millions of dollars on traditional media. There wasn't a digital marketing function at all. In 2011, so, 2010, 2011, no digital marketing. Yeah. yeah. And I tell you, wow. food tends to be a little bit behind everybody else. So, uh, and I, I don't know why, but food just tends to be a little more conservative in, in what they do. And, and for a long time, what worked in food was heavy, heavy TV and spokespeople um, and the LTOs, you know, limited time offer products. So mm. 2010, 2011, they decided to bring on a, a digital function and, and they, somebody knew somebody and they reached out to me and I was working at an agency and doing a lot of digital work at an agency. And they pulled me over to, to help them build out a digital function. And you know, I started with no people and no budget. Uh, the, the, the kind of organization, while management thought this is important, uh, the, the kind of core organization, including the franchisees, really didn't know what digital marketing was. There was really no, no understanding of, of the capabilities it would bring and the, right. the ability to change the brand it would bring. So the, the first thing that, that my team did, and, and frankly, the larger marketing department had to do is do some just homework on what was going on and figure out why traffic was was waning and, and what you know the brand had to actually do to, to sort of get back on its feet. And what we learned in that process was uh, basically that we had a value issue, you know, a, a value perception issue, and we had a larger perception issue where we just weren't relevant. If you were under 40, we weren't relevant because we were that evil fast food company and not five guys, not Chipotle, not those other guys who were interesting. If you were over 40, uh, we weren't interesting because our quality was not great. We were lumped in with everyone else in fast food. So the larger objective we actually had was be relevant again and be relevant again, over 40 on quality and under 40 uh, in just being a brand that people actually want to relate with. So that's what actually led to Fresh Never Frozen Beef coming back as our kind of TV, you know, rally yeah. cry. And that that was really the over 40 play, try to get people in with that quality claim that, that everyone understood and connected with. And then under 40, it was really be a relatable, interesting brand that uh, actually had a position. Mm -hmm. And if you go back to, to Wendy's and its original positioning, you know, I would argue Wendy's it was established as a brand in 1984 when they went on TV with Clara Peller. And they had the where's the beef ad. Yeah. And you know, that's an ad I, I saw in college. You know, I was I was where's born in 19. Yeah, I, you yeah. know, I, I was I was I was like four when that ad aired. Yeah. But I I you know, it's an iconic moment of advertising where a brand called out other brands, actually had something to say, it was interesting, changed the culture in the process. And we went back to that ad and said, Well, what is the What's that version of in 2020, 2011, 2012, what's the version of where's the beef that would exist? And what we came up with is, is, is it social media. And specifically, we needed social media where we could interact with people and actually call out competitors. Mm. So, so I began building that team and building that, that positioning around that challenger position, using social as the under 40 sort of drive to try to further the position of the, the, the better brand that's a challenger. Um, hired a, a few people, started to see a few successes because we hired the right people that had the right voice and the right tone and the right attitude that, that could bring that to life. I hired people that were natives to the platform. You know, the first person I hired, her name was Amy. She was a copywriter that just sounded like what I wanted Wendy to sound like. Nice. Uh, 
so she was on Twitter and I kind of stalked her on Twitter for a few weeks. And then I called her and said, Hey, this is really weird, but I'm trying to do this. And I know brands aren't really doing this, but you sound like what I want the brand to sound like. And she agreed and then started to get attention in it. And it started to snowball from there. And I started to get more resources. I started to be able to hire more people. I started get, getting more responsibility very quickly. I was running more than just digital and social. I, I ended up you know, running pretty much all the consumer facing communications for the brand, including media and, and creative and, and got to build that strategy, that objective of, you know, reposition the brand to be more relevant um, and to be that sort of, uh, you know, challenger brand associated with people over 40 with fresh number frozen beef and under 40 with this attitude in, in platforms like Twitter. And that led us to a huge shift in the organization. Now, a lot of other things were going on. There were a ton of smart people there that were helping do amazing things, you know, oper in operations and in, in the design of the restaurants and all sorts of things. But what, what all that work led to was we went from 10 years of decline to starting to flip positive. In about a year and a half, we started to flip positive. And then, you know, they just, I think they just reported their 30th quarter of growth, you know, on the back of all that. I left at quarter 17 or 18. So long story short here is we had a much bigger objective there. The bigger objective was reposition the brand around this challenger mentality that would differentiate it and create relevance for the consumer. And just the right way to do it was digital social. And, and frankly, we could have got six months into it and decided that wasn't the right way to do it. Yeah. So, you know, we just found it and started to work and it, and it took a while, by the way, it took six, eight months before people started to notice. And I had a lot of really uncomfortable conversations with people at Wendy's and, and board members and all sorts of important folks because they didn't get what we were trying to accomplish. I can only you imagine uh, you got some suited board member and <laughs> looking at it. And, and, and so for those listening, if you haven't heard of the, the fun or the snarky Wendy's or just the Wendy's throwing flame and heat at, at competitors on Twitter, you just Google it. Um, Wendy's tweets, snarky Wendy's tweets, hilarious uh, Wendy Twitter. Um, and there, there's things that says like um, Wendy's is roasting people on Twitter and it's just too cool to pass up. 20 plus hilarious tweet, Twitter roast by Twitter's, uh, Wendy's, tw Wendy's Twitter. Uh, uh, so 21 savage tweets that proves Wendy's Twitter is the best, right? So all these things, people can click on those. And what you see in there, if you, if you aren't familiar, is things like someone tweeting, not even at Wendy's, just saying, I want Wendy's, but my girlfriend wants McDonald's. What do I do? And literally Wendy's with the verified check mark next to it says there are plenty of fish in the sea. Right. <laughs> so I can only imagine in, in another time it was McDonald's with something and there's a trash bag or McDonald's tweeted out Black Friday with a little placeholder that says need copy and link like they messed up the tweet. Wendy's saw it, grabbed it, replied, hey, when the tweets are as broken as the ice cream machine, burn. <laughs> right. So uh, these are hilarious. And as a consumer, I just I found these hilarious. But I can only imagine when you have the establishment going like what are you doing? We're, we're a family restaurant. You're being mean to people. How, how did you handle those, those higher level conversations, those, those board calls and those kind of things? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's why you always have to start with the objective, right? So I, I made it very clear before we started working on it. We've got, we have a bigger positioning project to work on here that this is one outlet of that positioning project. So you're going to hear fresh, never frozen beef, and you're going to see that on television. And this other thing is going to happen because it needs to happen to help us reposition. And we have to see if it works. We're not sure if it's going to work, but we'll see if it's going to work. So I think one is you start with the position. Two, I was a little lucky that, you know, 
think of what a board member usually looks like, what an executive at a multi-billion dollar international company looks like. Generally, they're not the kind of people that are heavy on places like Twitter. At least they certainly weren't in 2010, <laughs> 2011. You lucked so, out. <laughs> so a lot of the stuff that we were doing kind of flew under the radar at first. And, and not all of it. I, I did have, like I said, I had some very uncomfortable conversations, but but I, I was always able to go back to, I'm not doing this thing because you know others are doing it, which is I would argue some are doing that today. Just they're totally. copying what others totally. are doing in any social platform. Yep. Nobody else was really doing it like this. So so it wasn't it wasn't just that we're following a trend. It wasn't we were just trying to be controversial, even though that obviously has a component to the the reason people paid attention to it. Yeah. It was because it fit the brand. So my yeah. default, or like my I'm on my heels, you know, defending the position to somebody who's really important. My default position was, what did people say about where's the beef when it hit? And it was the exact same thing, exact same thing. In fact, where's the beef? That ad only ran for a month. Really? It only really? ran for a month because people internally were so uncomfortable with it. So yet we know decades later, we oh weren't even God. around I mean, born then or you whatever. Thought, you'd have thought that it had been like that Sunsetter ad that runs, that's been running for 30 years, that, that still runs on the afternoon TV, that had been run forever. It ran for a month and that's it. And the reason, because people internally were uncomfortable with it, but it established a brand. Yeah. It, it created a brand that then Dave picked up on when he became the spokesperson. Dave, you know, was the spokesperson for Wendy's for, for almost two decades, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And in that time, he was that same attitude. He always questioned why you'd go somewhere else. He always was focusing on, you know, we're better than the competition. We're, that's, what, that's our position is, is better. So, so I always would default to, well, where's the beef was that way? Is this worse than what we did in 1984? And you know it's it's thirty plus years later, and and we're still uncomfortable with that. And and fortunately, once you start doing something that one, it's backed by a, a serious marketing objective or just brand objective. Two, has some history to back up that it's got validity for your brand. And three, actually starts to show signs that it's working. It's really hard for someone to undo that thing. Um, I mean, I was asked to fire people that did the work. Um, Re, I mean, towards the end really? even of the process, oh my God, all the time. I Because some people in that world where you are being snarky, where you're pushing on brands, you're going to make mistakes. You're just going to make mistakes. You're going to say something that goes too far, or you're going to say something that you didn't realize that it had some sort of context that was wrong. Yeah. I mean, you can Google this stuff. The, the, the number of mistakes that happened at Wendy's and, and at other brands I've been at, it's it's high. It's not yeah. crazy, but and we, we dealt with them and moved on. But there were enough that people would use it sometimes who didn't like the strategy or didn't understand the strategy as an excuse to say, oh, you need to fire this person or you need to change the way you're doing this. And did we have to put in some rules here and there that we didn't have at the beginning? Yeah, but in the end... You know, it was backed by an objective. And that's the bigger thing is it's just it's it was trying to accomplish something bigger. And it did. It did. If you look at what happened to the perception of Wendy's as a brand, if you look at how that softened the ground for everything else that they're doing, even today, I'd argue um, it's momentous. It totally changed the conversation about that brand. It was an irrelevant brand that that people thought were was, you know, kind of lost. And, and yeah, there was a lot of nostalgia for products and the products were still good. The, the, the actual like 
restaurant didn't change a lot. It was just the way we marketed it and the way we positioned it. And then a lot of the hard work that went around it, like I mentioned, between operations and, and, and store design and all sorts of other stuff yeah. to yeah. reinforce that position. Right. I'm not sure if anyone m misses the salad bar and the little jello jiggler. Uh, yeah. had on there um yeah there's only some temporary <laughs> things that you know and, and you know what i had i had franchisees i had people externally say bring back the x all the time and and the, the the funny part about it is those individual features usually actually aren't the thing that saves a brand usually what saves a brand is the is the the attitude it's the vibe it's the direction the it's the thing it makes you feel you know, function's important. You have to fulfill functional needs, but emotion is what actually makes you make decisions. That's why logos matter. I mean, the difference between a Nike shirt and a shirt that's made of the same quality that doesn't have the Nike logo is 30% in price. It's because that logo, they've built trust. They've built a relationship with you that's bigger. So I'd argue you have to focus on that emotional component, that attitude. Otherwise you're not actually gonna, gonna create a brand that means something. Uh, the emotions are so powerful. Um... Yeah, and let me just take you back real quick. You you mentioned just almost get, just a little tactical. So I'm just curious, you know, the there's like a thin line of that snark, and you mentioned that you protected the team, um, and you had overall objectives. You had history, had early signs it's working to sort of help protect your position and protect the team around you. But you know, how how do you how do you? I mean, were there things where you had to delete the tweet or? Um, and then I, I'll just read a couple others. You know at wendy's bk for the win and then wendy's is like would they win a participation trophy or should i go in and out burger what should i get you should get out <laughs> right so so the ones listed here are all hilarious um how, how did you you know arrange the team so that you know amy and others don't get the boot and maybe don't yeah. cross the line they don't get mean but they get they say fun how do you do that yeah, I mean, first of all, we, we hire really good people. And I think that's just a good policy period is, yeah. you know, you hire people that are extremely talented, good at the thing that you need them to do. Uh, you know, Amy Brown was a copywriter, um, you know, still works in social. Uh, again, and a few other agency folks we hired, they were comedians. This is what they did. Oh, this what, their what job, agency was that? VML out of Kansas City. So they still do the work today. Um, nice. I brought them as a digital agency and then ultimately excuse me, gave them all the, the media and creative work along with the social work that was sort of the original ask. Cool. Uh, Just in case you needed asks. to bump the agency. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're good. They're, they're good, you know. That's good. So we, but we brought in, uh, you know, we brought in the right people. I think that's a huge component. Yeah, uh, we did create some rules. So we, we created some rules. And, and an example of a rule was if somebody thought they were crossing the line, they just needed to text me. So I could say yes or no. And, and I wanted people to push up against the line. And, and sometimes it's harder to determine where that line is. So we had, you know, several moments where uh, I get a text at 11 o'clock at night or 830 in the morning <laughs> or whatever. And I got to say yes or no to something. So ultimately, I was the one who could stand up in front of the thing and say, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with this. I, and this is why I'm comfortable with it. And this is why I said yes. Um, so we did that. We, we also put some basic rules. You know, you don't use curse words. You don't you know, it, it's never mean spirited. It's always, yeah. it's always with a wink and a smile. Um, and we used to say that, you know, uh, we've had a persona obviously of what this person looks like. And, and at the time we used Chris Pratt from guardians of the galaxy a lot as an example, mm, uh, to say yeah. like, he's going to yeah. be snarky. He's going to be pushing, 
but he's not going to say something that like he can't take back um, or that really hurts someone's feelings, uh, you know, deep down. So, so we, we had a, we had a clear definition of what this was and what the voice was, but again, we did make mistakes. We had moments where, where someone would go too far and we deleted a tweet and we had moments where people wrote articles about that. I mean, there were probably half a dozen articles written in the six years, which frankly, with the number of communications that went out every day is shocking. It was that low. Um, <laughs> Where, where someone would say that Wendy's did this and they shouldn't have kind of thing. Uh, in fact, very early on, there was an article, I want to say it was Forbes, wrote an article about how we were ruining social media because wow. brands shouldn't sound like people. And, you know, I get that. And in 2010, 2011, not a lot of brands sounded like people. So it was a strange thing to see, especially a you know Midwestern, you know, well-established multi-billion dollar company kind of sounding like a human being. And that was um, Forbes? I think it was. I can't remember. It was. It was one of the publications that was respected. You know, it wasn't like it was. Uh, right. You know, some board from nowhere. Make sure to go back and be like, "How you like me now, Grandpa?" <laughs> well, they ended up writing another article like three years later, saying saying something like how uh, it was the same publication. I want to say again. I want to say it was Forbes. <clears throat> wrote an article like three years later saying how Wendy's revolutionized its brand and used the uh, you know the 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 social presence as the as one of the examples. So right. again, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and you don't yeah. you don't know if something's working until it shows up in the numbers, and it takes time to show up in the numbers. You know, like I said, it took us a year year and a half of of pretty you know daily drudgery to get to the point where we really started to get noticed, where it started to show up in the actual business. Um, and until it started to show up in the business, people weren't really confident. At least people who didn't understand the the strategy weren't terribly confident that it was the right strategy. Mm. Um, I could see it's also like opening Pandora's box because I, I, I know it started, it was kind of like you're burning McDonald's and, and other competitors. And then you have, you have people that just, the idea of the roast, right. And there's, there's certain comedy, you know, for those listening, if you haven't, there's, there's roasts you can see on YouTube and they're hilarious, but it's literally comics, like, like, making fun of each other in like horrible ways because they're really brilliant comics and that that can be uh, if you're if you're into roasts and in like oh please roast me and so I, I was seeing a lot of tweets start being like oh don't now roast me now can you please roast me wendy's and people like asking for that and in the context of a roast it can be really funny but you know one guy was like hey roast me or i'm gonna go to mcdonald's and so it was something like you know 1997 called and they want your backwards hat back or something like that um and, you know, so did it, did it into, evolve into, okay, do we have to pick our battles? We're still making fun of McDonald's and we make fun of our, our fans if they're laughing, but we, we got, uh, how do you, how do you sort that out? Yeah. It started heavier against brands and, and mostly against our, you know, core competitive set, other yeah. hamburger chains. Um, and then uh, it started to open up, but, but frankly, it, we didn't define it that way. We okay. just said, this was what, where's the beef was, this is what this voice kind of sounds like. And we let really talented people do their jobs. Yeah. So, you know, Amy and Matt and, and others at the agency and others internally at Wendy's, uh, we had somebody in Meredith at Wendy's that, that, that knew what they were doing and knew the platforms. Yeah. And so yeah. they were able to actually, you know, do the work that got attention and be interesting and be funny, but again, not go so far that you read something and you're like, whoa, 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 this brand's being a total jerk. Right. Even though once in a while, out of context, you'd pull something and be like, whoa, that's, I'm kind of surprised the brand said that sort of thing. Um, and if you go back to the really early moments, the you know, 2011, 2012 moments when we were still kind of warming up to this thing and, and it was starting to take hold, most of it was you know, pushing on brands. 
Yeah. And and the vast majority was actually against McDonald's and Burger King specifically. So those two, you know, we, we tried to actually stay away from Whataburger and In-N-Out and a few others at first because they're they're just they're regional and they're they're frankly pretty good and yeah, all I that like stuff. It was the, it was the, I love Whataburger, right? Yeah. All in Texas, I got a Whataburger all the time, you know, and there's nothing wrong with you know animal style at in and out. Um, and, and even like five guys, and I mean it's good food, so it's hard to say, you know, for fast food, anyways, it's hard to say that you should you should push against those guys. But the McDonald's and the Burger Kings of the world were kind of easy pickings. Easy pickings. Uh, and, and and actually what the original brand was founded for. So Dave founded the brand, Dave Thomas founded the brand because he didn't like what he was seeing at McDonald's and Burger King. He said, there's a better alternative out there. We can make, you know, using fresh beef, using better ingredients, using sort of better prep. We can actually make a, a cheeseburger that you get at a drive-thru that that's significantly better. Yeah. And uh, so that's why we started there, but it, you know, we kind of let it go where it went as long as it didn't go so far that it was, uh, you know, starting to hurt people's feelings a lot. Right. Right. Except but, for McDonald's and Burger King. Except for those okay. guys. It was yeah. perfectly fine to hurt Burger King's feelings. You know, totally. That. Fair game, right? Um, right. You know, let's talk – let's go like high, back to higher levels like the strategy side because I know we've the, – the idea of the challenger, you know, coming in the challenger brand. And I think when we were, we were doing our intro beforehand, we were sort of like hashing out the topics. So like Burger King, like like what are they? And and, and what, what was your sense for what the emotions that you were going for? You were the challenger and then you're – dethroning the big ones and then in, in i think we talked about it too like what is burger king's challenge well what was their yeah. challenge amidst all this yeah so i'd, I'd argue or at least from our perspective um you know mcdonald's position was sort of like the ubiquitous fast food company and and i think they actually embrace that really well you see you know the iconic kind of fry box and all you got to see is the yellow and the red and you immediately know what uh what that is so I, you know, yellow the fries and the red of the box kind of thing. Um, so, so McDonald's is sort of this stalwart of ubiquity in fast food, and if thirty thousand locations and billions of dollars and you know tens of everywhere, dollars. they're the thing. Everywhere. Yeah. So, so if we challenge them, we're challenging them from the standpoint of sort of David and Goliath, right? Yeah. That these guys are are the the monster that everything is uniform and generic and just about distribution and Wendy's is more sort of like the quality play and the local play and the, and the better play. So that, that was a pretty easy, you know, juxtaposition us, us versus McDonald's. Burger King was a little different because Burger King from a location standpoint was much bigger than Wendy's, but from a revenue standpoint, it's pretty similar. Um, just that their individual restaurants tend to do less business than the Wendy's do. So, so it's not actually like a bigger player just from a dollars standpoint, the U S anyway, it's, it's, and from, from a location standpoint, it's bigger. Our, our thing with Burger King, and I'd still argue this a bit, I don't know what Burger King really stands for. And I love a lot of their marketing, like the executions. You know, they at Cannes sweep the floor a lot of years. They were marketer of the year a couple of years ago at, at, at Cannes, for example. They, they win awards, they get attention, they do work that's compelling and interesting, executions. But I'm not smart enough to find the red thread right now. And I've heard them explain it a few times and it's never resonated with me. Every time they explain, like, what is the thing that connects them? Sometimes they're a challenger. Sometimes they're around differentiation around flame broiled. Sometimes they're just interesting and snarky. Sometimes they're just fun. But I, I don't know what their center is. Yeah. And again, I've heard it explained, and I, I still, I can't, I can't retain it because it doesn't work for me. So, 
we never really targeted Burger King for a reason. We always just targeted Burger King because they didn't know who they were. Yeah. So, but we knew who we were. Wendy's has always been the challenger. It's always been, you know, quality is our recipes on the sign. You know, where's the beef, you know, harkens back to that. Fresh never frozen beef is a statement that we're different than everyone else. So Wendy's, whether it was Dave on TV, whether it was, whether it's, where's the beef always been the challenger. So, and challenging around the idea of we're better uh, from a quality standpoint. Yeah. So, yeah. so it made sense for us to be the challenger and to challenge Burger King, but, but Burger King was actually always easy to pick on because it, it felt like they never knew who they were. So, and, and, and again, I, I, they do great, they do great executional work from a marketing standpoint, but it seems like it's a lot of value. I mean, heavy two for five stuff. And then on top of it, you know, executions that are interesting. And I got to give them credit because those issues are super interesting and a lot of people pay attention to it and their business generally has grown pretty well I would on the back of those things. But I still don't know what the brand is. Um, you know, I, and when they run an ad that it feels like they're on the right track, like, you know, they ran ads a few years ago where they were showing buildings, you know, Burger King buildings that were burnt down. And and the the title underneath is print ads. The title was, seriously, we're frame boiled. <laughs> Like they're, they're playing on the idea that there's an actual flame inside the restaurant and it burnt the place down. That's genius. Be that. If that's who you are, be that. That's great. That's fired. Wow. You know, and it's interesting and it's creative and it's yeah. great. But then sometimes they run these challenger ads where, you know, they're, they're, they, you know, have the billboard in Europe where there, there was a directions to McDonald's and then they put next to it a billboard directions to Burger King. And it was this long set of lists because it was hundreds of miles away, but it's like, it's worth it. Take the extra time to go to Burger King. And now they're doing the moldy Whopper thing they did last year, which I thought was genius. But again, are they about artificial ingredients? How can you be two for five Whoppers and artificial ingredients and flame? It's just like, there's so many directions and, and I'm sure there's a bigger plan that I just don't get yeah. underneath yeah. it. Um, but I just, I can't put my finger on like, what is this brand? It just feels like they're almost anything to anyone who will listen. And that's not a brand. No. That's something else. And I hate to knock on them, but like, I don't work at Wendy's anymore. And I don't work for Burger King. So, you know, I don't really have a dog in the fight. Yeah. But, um, but I just really struggle with what is that brand? You know what in and out is. You know what Whataburger even is. Even though Whataburger may lose that a bit. You know, they're kind of the Texas local, you know, indulgent kind of place. But they may lose that with this new ownership. So they have to be careful there. Mm. You even know what White Castle is. Yeah, but I don't know what Burger King is, which is so strange to me. Um, White Castle, you know, like that movie, like that journey to whatever the journey to White Castle. Harold, Harold, and, then, and Kumar are like riding right. a panther. <laughs> and, and I love brands like that. I love brands. That's part of the reason I joined Potbelly uh, yeah. is because I love brands that that seem to have a really good sense of who they are, that are comfortable in their own skin. Yeah, you know, yeah. those are the brands that I think are magic. That that they they understand what they are in the world. It's just like a person you meet a person who's very confident and and they're themselves and they don't deviate from that often you know you you like something about that person and, and that's how i'm attracted to brands is do they know who they are and if they don't know who they are i can help them find out maybe who they are but then they got to be consistent with that mm. uh, how do you I mean, how do you because I'm, I'm sure people are listening going like man i and i've sensed that too with burger king the idea of it's almost like what we just talked about at the very beginning, the idea of the tactics versus objectives. I see a lot of really interesting tactics, like the weird King guy with the mask, the okay, dancing around or something. And 
the anything burger and the veggie burger and the flame rolled. I just like a Whopper, maybe add some extra lettuce, but you know, like, but at the same time, I don't really, you know, I, every time you, if you ever go by, you're like, huh, I don't really understand, you know? Um, so yeah, it's almost like you need to find yourself. How, how do you help groups? I mean, obviously it just takes time, but from a high level, how do you, how do you find yourself as a brand? Yeah. I mean, I think it all boils down to needs. You have to understand the emotional and functional needs that your brand fulfills for people. And that that's the baseline that then helps you understand how do you communicate that you meet those needs in a way that's compelling. Right. Yeah. And, and for most brands, it's really a bit of a, just dig into your past because there's a reason brands are successful when they first begin. And sometimes that reason becomes irrelevant over time, but, but often that's not the case. Often the, the original kind of orientation of the brand is the right position for that brand you just have maybe have to tweak it and modernize it you know you go back to wendy's is the good example there of of this was the brand that was the challenger brand that's why dave started it well just being that and that's okay you know it's fine just to find new outlets for that position um but it's really boils down to needs and, and you think about you know brand like wendy's you know everyone wants to to root for the underdog Everyone wants to uh, be better. So better and this underdog challenger mentality are inherently emotional spaces to play, right? And and the outlet of that can be a lot of different things. It doesn't have to be Twitter, but it just happened to work that that social Facebook, Twitter, and, and platforms like it were were strong, uh, you know, outlets for that. Mm. You go to you go to. Uh, you know, any brand, it doesn't matter the brand, you find that those needs that you're fulfilling, those emotional and, and functional needs, and sometimes societal needs, if it's something bigger, like a nonprofit or whatever, um, and and you try to anchor the brand in those needs, and then build your, your sort of positioning and your mentality around those needs. Uh, but again, it usually is a, a function of what made the brand successful when it first began, or, you know, what did the brand evolve to that really resonated with people? Um, it's, and, and consistency is king here. The, you know, oftentimes you, you see brands that can totally rework themselves. And I'm not just talking like a logo rework that can be part of it, but mm-hmm. the brands rework themselves, reinvent themselves often. And that stupid gap logo. <laughs> I mean, and again, I'm not necessarily picking on logos here, but the logos can be an articulation of that yeah. where marketers get bored a lot before consumers get bored. <laughs> so, you know, we, we get burned out on the ad we're running or the positioning we're using or whatever. And everybody wants to put their personal fingerprint on something too. So a lot of times people come in and they just rework a position or whatever, because they want to, because they want it to be theirs. And, and I understand that, but, but that's ego, you know, mm-hmm. you're there to serve the brand. Every brand I've been at, the brand is bigger than me. And, and I've got a pretty big ego because I, I believe in my teams and I believe in the work I, that I, I do. But the brand matters a lot more. That's why I leave when I'm not a fit anymore, when they don't need me to do the thing that I'm good at. So, and that's also why, you know, I've I've spent a lot of time working on the position and digging in the past of brands, because usually it is there somewhere in the past. And if you can unearth that thing, brush it off, maybe put a modern spin on it or a modern tactical sort of outlet for it, usually you're going to find something that will resonate with consumers today. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it's shocking to me that, that brands constantly change who they are. You know, a, a, an example I'd give you that, that I think is a great example of a brand going back to what 
was they were good at. And I'm not a big tagline guy. I don't think taglines generally are the way to go for most brands because brands can't stick with a thing for more than 10 minutes. What's the point of a tagline? You can't do <laughs> yeah, it for right. 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, State, State Farm just went back to like a good neighbor. That's genius to me. And it's genius to me because they had established that for years and years and years. And it directly connects into the position of that brand, the original, the, the kind of trust. I mean, it's called State Farm. It's the, the name is intended yeah. to make your trust and stability. So the fact that they went back to like a good neighbor, I think is really smart because that is the orientation that that's the position. It's, it's tagline, but that's the position that resonated with people. And, and what's the point of just coming up with something new for the sake of coming up with something new, do the thing that works, do the things that people actually care about and resonates with them. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, dude. So, so cool to, to think about these things and, you know, whether it's fast food or digital sprockets or widgets or SAS or what, it, like this is a lesson that carries on and whether you're selling fries or, you know, clicks or whatever it is, like it, it's, it's true. Like, are you something um, or are you just lukewarm? You know, are you, do you have a position? Um, what is it? And is it exciting? You know, when you were talking about some of these positions, like, yeah, I could see that. And my, my own brain's going with my own company. Oh, what, what's exciting. And, and you're right. That challenge, that's exciting. Let's take down the big guys. Um, and yeah. getting back to what was your original position? And maybe that sort of reignites everyone's spirit. Yeah, we were taking on the big guys. Why do we try to become like them? Why don't we get back yeah. to trying to take them out instead? Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. Well, you know, you've been in a lot of places. And we, we talked about, you know, you, you're, you're in places. And I, I wanted to ask you, Papa John's, one of those, yeah. one of those brands that was just everywhere, had the spokespeople, all the things all the things going on and then it sort of falls off the map. And I didn't even realize maybe to their credit till later on when I saw that, like there was some controversy happening, like people getting angry and you were there right about the time when all this was happening. Um, what can you, what can you say about it? I don't want to get you in trouble, <laughs> but like what, what kind of beans can you spill here? Well, I mean, let me, we kind of start from the beginning. I, I was at Wendy's and ready to try something new and, yeah learn more, frankly, uh, you know, Wendy's is a very brick and mortar location. Um, and we had digital and, and some e-commerce. In fact, I helped build some of that stuff at Wendy's, but I, I really needed to learn sort of true e-commerce. And, yeah. and I had a, in, and this is 2017, middle of 2017. And I had Papa John's asking me to come on board and, and be their chief marketing officer. So um, I joined Papa John's to basically for one reason to do two things. So the one reason was, uh, I love uh, taking a commodity and breaking it out as a brand and making it wow. actually interesting. That that just gets me excited. I don't know why, but for some reason, it's 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 fascinating to me that people choose a commodity based on a logo. You know, you you choose a bottle of water based on the logo on the bottle of water. It is totally. literally the, the most commoditized commodity there is. Totally. But you choose, you know, Fiji over something else because of the Fiji logo. That's fascinating to me. So. Pizza is one of the most commoditized parts of food, period. You know, it's all a lot price driven. 80 plus percent of transactions happen through dealing. And the majority of it happens through e-commerce, uh, through the website or, or the app. So so they they asked me to come and, and basically I joined because I thought this was a brand that in a very commoditized space had the opportunity to actually break out um, and be interesting for product. 
you know, better, you know, better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's, right? Great. That's their yeah. founding, you know, mentality. Burned in my brain. So, that's right. So, so I wanted to build on that and actually differentiate Papa John's. Domino's was kicking their butt when I joined, even though they were, they were growing. Um, but Domino's was the, the dominant player really because they were focused on distribution and not products. So there was a hole here for somebody to be about pizza and yeah. good pizza. Kind of like the McDonald's. So, like they was just there everywhere. That's right. You can that's right. go to them anytime. You know that they're there. That's right. But if you want something better, this is yeah. your opportunity. So, yeah. so I joined Papa John's because I, I thought that would be the, 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 the way to, to proceed there was, was focus on better, focus on product, make sure that it's understood that this this commodity category has an out, outlying brand that you should pay attention to. Yeah. Really, there were two tasks as I came on. One was their media program, their marketing program really was built around traditional media and traditional outlets. And, and there's nothing wrong with traditional. You know, I, I, one of the things that I hold up is I'm media agnostic. I, I do what works. I really don't care where you put your media dollars as long as it affects the consumer and the, and the objectives you have. Yeah. But that's a big miss to say you're, you know, majorly traditional when the majority of your business is actually flowing through digital. And part of the reason Domino's was dominating was they were very good at things like performance marketing and, and Papa John's wasn't. So one yeah, was the pizza tracker app. That's right. They got all these so, little things going on. So one was sort of like digitize their marketing and, and cool. make it a little modern. And that's like the your sweet one, spot too. Like you had just really yeah. helped good old fashioned brick Wendy's become modern as hell. That's right. So that, that's kind of what, what I, I thought that this this is an easy effort that probably take me a year and, and we'll get it done. And the second thing was work on the position. What is the position? And, and again, that goes back to the better, better ingredients, better pizza and, and, and own that versus own dealing and things like that, which, which kind of had become the, the mentality of the brand. So I joined um, in 20, middle of 2017 and kicked off a huge research project to figure out what should the position be is better ingredients, better pizza relevant. How should that come to life? And, and usually when I start a, at a brand, if there's not good research, I, that's what I do. I start just kick off a project that lets us understand the target, understand the needs of the target, understand how to actually approach that brand in, in a way for consumers that will resonate. Um, I, I'm a big believer in starting with facts and then you move to, you move to gut as the facts help inform your gut. So kicked off that research and while we were doing that work, the team did a lot of work to digitize and modernize. And I would say my first six months while that research was happening, that's pretty much what I did. And what my team did was we reworked the team, reworked our agency relationships, reworked our media partnerships, reworked some of our sponsorships, did a lot of awesome work. Actually, we shot ads with, you know, JJ Watt and Peyton Manning and, yeah. and a bunch of other folks that were really good. We shot a whole series of ads with Mike. Did you Rowe. meet those guys? You get a chance to like, oh, yeah, be, like yeah. was, be on yeah, set really and be like, cool. what's up you know, guys? Peyton Manning, you know, down to pizza sitting in front of me, which is pretty awesome. An entire whole pizza. pizza? Well, I mean, the dude's a football player, right? He's, he he's a guy. He's a big so, guy. Uh, I can do it too, but I don't look like Peyton Manning. Me too. <laughs> it just looks so, gross if I do it. <laughs> that's right. So, and, and, uh, and, you know, did a whole series of ads with micro that were, were awesome that we kind of played on the idea that football is this institution because they were a big yeah. football sponsor, you know, uh, and, and that was a big part of their kind of sports and sponsorships was a big part of their their buys. So re uh, put a performance marketing layer in play, put a, a social and 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 not not necessarily a social organic like we did at Wendy's, but more of a social uh, paid social approach so we wouldn't be conquested by partners. Start to see actually benefit in all that, where our ROAS began to rise, where our rankings began to rise, our SEO and SEM began to actually show a bare fruit. As that was all happening, the research started to come in. 
for the positioning. And essentially what the research told us, and, and I got to be you know delicate here, but the research essentially said better ingredients, better pizza works, but you got some other things in your, in your repertoire that you need to work on. And we had to work on what is the right way to bring this brand forward uh, so it works for everybody and it yeah. can grow this, under this better pizza positioning, better ingredients, better pizza. So we started to work on that and it became real clear as I was going through that process that this organization just wasn't ready to shift its positioning. It, it just wasn't ready for what it asked me to do. And, and some controversy began to, to, to pop up and, you know, CMOs are, are, you know, usually on kind of year long blocks of contracts. And, and I had the opportunity to walk away and I, I did because I knew they were in for a two or three year fight to figure out kind of the soul of the brand, what they wanted to be as a position. I had the research, we had the facts, I gave them those facts. Very proud of the work we did on the e-commerce side and the, and the digitization side, because I think it helps set them up for, for the future. Um, they're killing it now. They're killing it now because they moved past the positioning issues and they've oriented around product. Notice if you watch their ads today, you know, Rob, the new CEO came in, who's a really smart dude who came from Arby's and, and a bunch of other great work. He positioned around the product. So the product is sort of the hero now uh, about better product. Uh, and, and that aligned with the more modern approach, I would argue, to media and 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 uh, things like performance marketing, is is part of the reason that I think they've started to, to gain their footing again over the last, especially year and a half. Uh, they were ready when COVID hit, and I think they reported plus twenty five, plus twenty nine. They're doing better than they're comping better than Domino's now. And, really? And I'm, wow. Yeah, and I'm proud to say I'm, I was part of that at the very beginning. Having said that, the folks in play right now are the ones that are. That are certainly the responsible for the comps that they're they're seeing. So, so yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a tumultuous year. I, had, I moved my family to Kentucky, then moved to Chicago within a year. Jeez. Um, so that's a little crazy, um, but I learned so much about um, about uh, especially uh, e-commerce and digitization uh, when it relates to actual like click to buy. Pizza yeah. is Amazon. It just is. It doesn't behave like a normal brick and mortar company. And in that year, I had so much exposure. I feel like I, you know, I got 10 years of knowledge crammed in my head in a year. Um, wow. So that was awesome. But, but, you know, it was a pretty short run and, and they're killing it now. So I'm really proud of the folks that are left behind, but also really proud to say I was a, a very, very small piece of, of what now is a very successful company. Go, go to any other brand that has had a spokesperson, Maytag with their, you know, the, the, the Maytag man, uh, yeah. Mr. Whipple yeah. back in the day before I was even watching television, you know, you go back to any spokes flow, a progressive, you go to yeah. any spokesperson, that spokesperson is a tactic. And that tactic is supposed to bring forward something. And that tactic has value and it has a, it's a mnemonic device that helps you remember, you know, something that you, that, that you want to relate that to that brand, but it's still a tactic. And if you're not constantly true to the position and what the position gets you and you let the tactic become its own thing, it sort of unravels and the tactic becomes irrelevant. That was happening at Wendy's when I first joined. We had a, you know, a redhead woman that was our spokesperson uh, and, and a lot of people have forgotten about her, but she was on TV for like three years and she became the tactic versus the actual position and, and, or she was the tactic, not the position. And she became the, the objective was use her. And that's not the way to approach any brand. You have to, you have to treat the tactic like what it is, which is a means to an end. And the end is the position and the objective. If that makes sense. No, it does. Um, yeah, I was just Googling. I'm like, who, who was this spokesperson? I'm like, oh, I vaguely remember. Oh, 
it's like it's like wendy essentially but you're right like it, it falls short and and even even like a founder of the company it's just a tactic what it, and then it needs to reflect what the overall position is otherwise it, it it falls flat and to your point it can can go off the rails and it didn't for your wendy's twitter because you had an objective you had a position and this was just uh, representation of it. This was just one of the tactics to get it out there. Um, but yeah, right. I could totally see other brands. Hey, this spokesperson is our way of doing, but it's like, no, that's too much to ask one person to do. What do you actually believe in first and foremost? And then let's find a person that, that, you know, represents yeah. that. And, and I'd also argue those tactics when they take on a life of their own, they become the, the objective is use the tactic. The, the problem with it is you get married to the tactic and, and yeah. the tactic eventually will stop working. It just will. That's how every tactic is. Every tactic eventually reaches its the end of its life. So if you commit you know millions of dollars to a, a actor who's a spokesperson and it turns out that that actor has some controversy or is irrelevant for some reason or isn't as interesting to the audience as they were three years ago or five years ago when you started, that's a problem. That's a yeah. huge problem. Yeah. And, and, and then you look at brands that, that go the other way where they get tired of their tactic, like, you know, Dos Equis. And I love using examples because there are so many wonderful brands out there. But Dos Equis, most interesting man in the world. Amazing yeah. campaign, right? I'd argue that actor was pretty tied to that, that oh, campaign. Yeah. And there's a larger positioning underneath it that, you know, this is a, this is an exotic, you know, drink that makes you interesting. You know, that's the thing underneath the whole thing. Right. And he was the articulation of it. And then they tried to move past it with a new actor and it didn't work because I would argue they either, they did one of two things. They either spent way too long with that original actor, which made it cement the idea that he is the most interesting man in the world. I mean, literally you're saying this person <laughs> is, is the most actual, interesting man, an actual person and then you change him. So either that happened or what may have happened is they weren't really true to the original reason that that campaign was so strong. I mean, think about back in the day, that campaign, it was really about this sort of cartoon character of a guy, this caricature of a, a world traveler that was so interesting that it was under, and, he, and he, he fit this, he was an older guy with this gray beard that was always surrounded by people. And it just, when you get something that rich, you have to decide what is the position and then you have to think about what in three years, how does that position live in a way that the mm. tactic continue to evolve? And that's hard. That's yes. really hard because in the moment it feels like, you know, that, that spokesperson is the, is the objective and it's not the, the position underneath it is bigger and more interesting. Most interesting man in the world is a great platform. Yeah. Really careful. You execute it. So ultimately you know, you don't get married to a single actor. And when that person asks for too much money or decides they want to retire, you don't destroy your whole campaign, which is what I'd argue kind of happened at Dos Equis. So, and I know hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, carrying on this conversation, if you were at Dos Equis at that time, CMO, what kind of things might, would you have changed? Or maybe it's even deeper than that, but anything come to mind? Like, what would you have done differently? I mean, I can't pretend to be even slightly as intelligent know, as those guys were because their campaign was crazy good. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think what you have to do as a, as a, a marketing leader, CMO or any role like that, is you have to think about always stay true to the objective and the position, and then you have to map it out over time. And, you, and that map has to be flexible because ultimately consumers are going to tell you what works and what doesn't. But, but for example, if you had started in that campaign and seen in that first six months or a year that the most interesting man in the world is absolutely killing it, and that first year, I would have tried to map out 
you know, what does this look like in two years, in three years, in five years? And it may die before you get to that three or five year mark. Right. But you have to map it out because what they could have done, and again, hindsight is twenty twenty. You said so, it. Could have done is mapped it out that like the torch is passed to a new most interesting man, and then a torch is passed to a new most interesting man. Yeah. This this happens, right? Brands like do Doctor that. Who. They could Doctor Who it. You know. <laughs> that happens. Well, brands will will transition the idea to something else. And, and I'd argue State Farm just did it from Jake to, to the new Jake. You know, brands do that where they transition from one kind of element to another, but they keep the core true. And, and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But if you map it out and do your best to kind of follow the consumer as they're finding what's good and what doesn't work and stay true to what worked in the original kind of sense, I think, uh, I think that can be really powerful, but you got to stay true to the objective and the brand, not the tactic, you know, eventually Flo will decide she doesn't want to work anymore. She just will, you know, she's, I'm sure rich beyond all rich at this point from being on commercials for probably a decade now or more. So, so you have to plan for that. And that's what it looks like they're doing with that, that second actor. And, and, it, and ideally, if you can actually go bigger than a person, you know, when you see a cartoon character, when you see uh, something that's not even a character, something that's just a bigger idea, what McDonald's does with the kind of iconic fry box and the iconic, you know, the, 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 the kind of clip art like elements that they use, that's bigger than an actor or a tactic that will age out. So I think Nike does that all the time. When Nike celebrates a moment in sport, they're holding up the idea of athleticism and the value of athleticism. I, th I think the, the core position of, of Nike is something like everyone with a body is an athlete and they hold up athleticism as the primary sort of drive of everything. So it makes sense when they put Colin Kaepernick in an ad, it makes sense when they run the ad of the, the kid who's overweight, who's running, trying to lose weight. It makes sense when they celebrate, you know, Kobe, it makes sense because they're about something bigger and deeper. And it takes time to build that as a brand, but if you can, own that emotional space and that position and that objective, you're, you're, you're much better served than, than relying solely on a tactic and a spokesperson, uh, because ultimately that's going to age out. It just will. Man, man, I feel like I talked to you for days. I feel like almost every brand consumer brand, I just want to bounce it off you and be like, what do you think? But I'm starting to see the pattern. I'm seeing people either have that underlying, um, position and underlying emotions tied to it nike you're right it's the moment it's the athlete everyone's an athlete so everyone should be have that logo and then it, it's a thought in our head it's not tied to michael jordan right it's like it's tied to every it's every every feeling associated with working out um versus that one person poor flow or like in my mind like subway and jared like i carumba <laughs> like you know that's you know spokesperson gone wrong i guess it, you know, Subway had something. Subway had something great. They had Fresh, yeah. and and I and Fresh is very functional, but they owned the idea of fast food that's actually not that bad for you. And Fresh was sort of an articulation of that. And I'd argue they they traded a very short term win for uh, a long term fail. The short term win to me was the five dollar foot. Short term fail, I'm sure, was the five dollar foot long. And, and it worked great for them for like three years and then it undid the brand. So that brand to me is almost irrelevant now. And it's irrelevant because they focused on a very short-term goal of price. So they went to $5 foot long, which totally unraveled 
the better for you mentality and the fresh mentality. I mean, they had Michael, uh, I'm sorry, the swimmer, Michael uh, uh, Phelps. Yeah. The most famous swimmer ever. I lose his, his, his name in my head, but Michael Phelps is a spokesperson, you know, back in the day, they, they, they used fresh trying to be an articulation of that because he lost weight. Right. Now, mind you, you, Again, that's why you don't tie yourself to a person. You tie yourself to an idea because yeah. that person gets into trouble. You need to walk away from it quickly. But um, even though you can use the person as a tactic. So I would argue, you know, Subway had an amazing position in Eat Fresh and the idea underneath it of this kind of better for you fast food. And then they decided to get this quick win of $5 foot long that drove huge business for a few years, but then totally unraveled everything. So I think you, you have to think about the long view of that stuff and how it actually plays out. And, and, I, and I, I just one thing I'd add before we move on is, uh, you know, Seth Gooden is one of these crazy genius marketers, right? You've What's probably his name? seen. A, oh, you know, Godin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I may have said his name wrong. I've only oh, read yeah, his no book. Worries. Okay. Yep. But, um, but uh, you know, one of those crazy genius marketers and knows just about more than any marketer should ever know in their lifetime. And he used the he used the line to to sort of check this against brand and, and his was, if you can take the the brand the logo and put it on a totally different category of product and you understand what that product would feel like, you have a great brand. And he used the example of Nike. He said, you could take the Nike logo and put it on a hotel, and immediately imagine what that hotel might be like. And that, I just thought that was like it blew my mind when I heard that. I'm like, that's a great anecdote to share when someone says what is a great brand is they actually carry something bigger than feature benefit bigger than product and and to me that's the sign that you have a really strong brand if you can slap that logo on something that is totally unrelated to your product or category and people immediately be like yeah i know what that would be like um so i, I think that's the magic under brands it takes time to build it's not something you do overnight you might need to do things like you spokespeople as a tactic to build that thing but um, but you got to stay true to that objective and that positioning because otherwise you don't build the brand. You end up just doing something like a five dollar foot long that gets you a couple of years of benefit and then breaks things in the long run. Jeez, I think I think Subway's doomed. I saw them in the strip mall. The only thing that could save them is if they hired you. But I don't. I don't I, I, know. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna work for Subway anytime soon. But I, I would tell you though <laughs> that that brand is any brand is salvageable. Any brand is out. Subway, if they reestablish their 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 bona fides against uh, kind of the better for you fast food, and they did it for real, I mean, think what the moldy whopper thing that Burger King is doing. Why isn't Subway doing stuff like that? Why yeah. that should be the brand, the branch, and it's going to hurt for like three years. It's going to hurt. The same benefit they got for two or three years on five dollar foot long, they're going to feel that pain for two or three years while they transition away from dealing. And that being their only mechanism for being a brand. But if they're willing to suffer for a couple of years to transition to being, to be, be what they were, you know, 10 years ago, I think that brand could come back. I do. I mean, their footprint is ridiculous. It's still the single largest footprint of any fast food company in the world. Um, there's no reason those places shouldn't be doing a million, two million, five, a location. They're doing like 400 a location or 500 a location. Yeah. And while I was a pop belly, I was very glad they didn't do that because I, I didn't worry about them. Right. They weren't a, they weren't a threat to what I was doing a pop belly because they were still focused on dealing and dealing is a position, but it, you have to live it through and through. I mean, Walmart can effectively do dealing, but the reason they can do it is because they have the infrastructure to manage it, and and 
but the product just doesn't fit that at Subway. So they got work to do, but any brand is salvageable. It doesn't matter the brand. Man, you're like a brand superhero. Brandon, who are you, man? Who are you? Can you take me back in time? Like little you days? Did you always know you're going to be doing something related to brands like this? I mean, you seem like the brand whisperer at this point. So take me back. What was it like? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, my mom was a, a teacher. Actually, had her for fifth grade. Um, so <laughs> How was that? Was that as bad as it, it sounds, was, or was it cool? It was interesting. She she was actually really good about it. My mom is cool. probably the most empathetic person I've ever met in my life. So she's very good at understanding how you feel and how to make you feel good and how to make you feel comfortable and all that. So it, it was good. But, um, you know, went to a little little school in Cincinnati or Loveland, technically, Ohio, a suburb of Cincinnati. Um, went to a, a Catholic grade school, Catholic high school. Uh, went to a little college uh, in Northern Kentucky, a uh, little public college in Northern Kentucky. I actually went to school uh, my first couple of years as a biology major. I thought I wanted to be a scientist or something. I don't know. I just loved, I, my, my, I think the fundamental core issue was I could never stop asking the question why. Yeah. Like when I was a little kid, if kids get deprogrammed from that, I was never deprogrammed from that. So I always want to know why, how things work. I wanted to know why things work. I want to know why people did what they did. So I went to school as a, a biology major, switched to marketing because I took a marketing job uh, to pay for my college actually okay. and loved it and was good at it. So, um, so I, I worked full-time through college to, to pay my way and, and my wife's way because I'm, I'm a high school sweetheart is who I married and went to college with. Um, and, then, and then got into the world in marketing uh, you know, in college and, and led me to work in an agency and actually an industrial computer company working on a lot of technical and, and technology stuff. Um, kind of learned my, my, the, the basics of marketing at, on the agency side, which I, if you've never worked in an agency, I suggest people work in an agency at some point as marketers because you learn how to move fast and be efficient and be scrappy and, and understand how to pitch and sell and all that stuff like nothing else. Um, and then found my way to Wendy's and then Papa John's and then Pop Belly. So, you know, they got the core, you know, I'm just a kid who, uh, who never could stop asking why. And I do think that actually has served me really well. Cause that's the first question I ask when I see anything, uh, in my, in my work life. And, and I came to really appreciate, uh, you know, how people think and how they work and, and their perspectives. My mom gave me that empathy. So I feel like I can see things from people's perspectives, uh, which led me to a love for brands and these relationships people have for brands, which led me to be a marketer. So, um, who knows? I don't know who I am. One day I'll figure out who I am, but, uh, I just think I'm that kid who never stopped asking why maybe. Well, it sounds like you've got your position figured out. Maybe, maybe. That's I don't why, know. That's why all these tactics are working. Um, maybe. I, I can't imagine what comes next for you, man. I'm excited. I know it's uh, talks are happening, so nothing to announce yet, but you have to hit me up afterward and tell me what exciting yeah. brand I should keep an eye open for, you know? I'll do that. I'll do that. You know, I'm, I'm, if, if you had to guess, probably a place that uh, has got a great brand um, and, and has the opportunity to express it in a more compelling way. Because uh, that's what I love doing, right? I love taking those brands that are a bit commoditized and and figuring out a way to 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 make sure people pay attention to them and they're yeah. relevant in the modern world. So that that's kind of what I'm what I'm digging on right now. And maybe something with food, because I'm sensing a pattern. And food's fun, man. I tell you, I don't know. I, I've I've said no to about a half a dozen food gigs, yeah. uh, you know, since I left Pop Belly, just because I'm I 
I love working in food, but I also don't want to be typecast as the food guy. You know, I've been in food for 10 10 or 11 years, but I didn't start in food. My first 10 years of marketing wasn't in food. So I'm actually looking harder at places that, uh, and and the, the couple opportunities that I'm getting really close on that I think I might, you know, say yes to are the, are, are outside of food. So we'll see. Um, I can always, uh, you know, visit, visit places and eat there, but I don't necessarily have to work for them. So we'll see. Well, it's smart. It sounds like you're taking your own advice that you would have given Dos Equis and, and others to, um, if you, if you don't want to be the food czar, then you're right. That next, that next one should probably not be food. Um, but either way, you're right. It's, it's every time I ask you all these different versions of this question, you're like objective, objective. What, what's the position, what's the soul of this thing? And then what, um, what does it become? So it sounds like, you know, you know Burger King listening to this, sorry guys, <laughs> not going to happen. Yeah. And Burger King, I'm sure they, 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 I'm sure they're comfortable with their team right now, but when you get down to it, uh, you know, I, I think that's right. I, 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 at my heart, you know, I'm in my heart love making brands that are, are in a commoditized space break out. I love creating a relationship between a brand and, and people. I think there's magic in that. And it's crazy that human beings even have relationships with, with brands. So I just got to, got to figure out which, which, uh, which brand I want to work on next. So. Yeah. I'm going to open up the betting polls to see which brand, which brand should be salvaged by Brandon. <laughs> Rotin here. And you know what? I'm okay not salvaging too. I'm okay just building a brand that's already doing okay. That's all right. Salvaging thing is hard. It's okay. I don't mind doing it, but I don't always want to do it. I got a two-year-old now. I don't have as much time to salvage as I used to. Right. (laughs) Give me a good one that we can just take uh, take further. And also, yeah, I I keep you know, like you said, people prevent them from just going whole hog on just one tactic and then finding themselves out in the in the you know, out in the dark after that thing expires itself. So even, even helping a company not do that, mapping it out, like you said, would be fantastic. All right. So I have a hypothetical for you. Uh, I may or may not have a time machine here in Nashua, New Hampshire. Um, Maybe, maybe not. It's in the backyard covered with a tarp. Um, And so let's say I let you use it. Yeah. We'll, you know, clean it off COVID and all. Um, And you get to use this time machine. You go back in time and you get to meet yourself um, right after you graduated school. You've been doing the marketing jobs. You just got that, that, that degree. You're free to head out into the world even more so now. What kind of things would you tell yourself knowing all, all the companies you've been through and the challenges you've had? What kind of advice would you give yourself? Yeah, um, one, I would say, you know, save some money. Uh, not because I didn't save some money. I did. But because uh, if you're going to take risks, uh, you're going to have moments that you're either going to have to do the right thing for the brand or um, or you're going to have to accept something that you shouldn't be doing for the brand because you still need a paycheck. So I, I'm a strong believer in, in putting some money in the bank just so you can take risks, you know, take care of your family still, but take some risks. So that's what number one is just, you know, throw some money in the bank. Um, number two, uh, boring kills brands. You cannot have a brand that is boring and successful. That doesn't mean it has to be controversial. It just has to actually meet some emotional needs. And what the the gravity of most organizations moves you to boring. Because if everybody in that boardroom is shaking their head, yes, this is a great idea. If everybody on the management team is saying, yes, this is a great idea, odds are it's safe. It's really, really safe. And probably vanilla and probably boring as hell. So you gotta, you gotta understand that boring kills brands, which means you have to do things that are actually compelling and interesting. 
and and it doesn't have to be controversial. Again, I want to make sure I'm clear there. It doesn't have to be something that hurts people's feelings or is in any way, uh, you know, breaking things. But boring kills brands. Uh, the the third thing I think I tell myself is the brand is bigger than you. And I learned this pretty early in my career, but it took a few years for me to learn it. Right? You know, the brand is going to last past you, and if you do your job right. You're going to look back and the brand will be stronger because what you did, but it will continue to grow in strength if you did your job right. So, you know, I never want to look back on a company and see it do worse because I've left. The brand is bigger than you. and You have to set up the infrastructure, the team, the, the make the right strategic decisions to make the brand bigger than you. The brand will survive without you, too. Yeah. But that's that's your job. Your job as a leader is to make sure that brand is stronger for your time there. And that when you leave, you look back and say, look at that thing. I'm so proud of that. I am so proud of my teams at every company I've been at. And, and you have to do that. The people who are bitter because they left and they didn't get to accomplish everything they wanted to, or because they left under circumstances that weren't ideal or whatever. I don't get that at all. You are smaller than that brand. That brand is what matters, not you. Uh, so I think those are the three things. Put some money in the bank. Um, you know, <laughs> the, the, the brand is bigger than you. And, uh, and, uh, I can't remember the second thing. What was boring, the second thing? boring, boring, yeah, boring kills. See, look, I even forgot the most interesting one. Boring all kills brands. It's all good. So I think the, yeah. I think that's, uh, that's what I tell myself. Sweet. I was gonna say preach, man. Yeah, it's that's awesome. Stuff. Good Dude, you're, you're one of my new favorite humans now that, <laughs> Look at that. You're, you're like constant sound bites of wisdom <laughs> even, if I, even if i forget the occasional sound bite but yeah yeah uh, you know, you i will say in, you know in the bathroom there's a little wisdom you, you'd open up ah let me learn something startup quotes and all that no i mean but i think you know I mean, you've experienced this i'm sure everybody's experienced this you go to your career and you just you learn so much and if you yeah. take the time yeah. to reflect on those things and apply them in the future every every time you go to a different place every time you start something new every time you start a new project you know you just get better and sharper and it's super exciting it's super exciting and you need that because the older you get you know the, the more you gotta you have to let others do the work right yeah um, you know, as, as you move up in an organization, if you try to do everything, you're not going to do well. So you have to be able to give them that guidance that lets them do the work really well. Yeah, man. Inspiring, inspiring to think about what, what could, what could your position be? What could your brand be? You know, the people listening and I'm thinking that too, like, oh, what could this actually be? That's not, that's life's too short to go through the motions, you know, to have the boring brands and you're right. You need to take time to think about your thinking. It's like a Dan Sullivan quote. And I, I found journaling lately. is just like the thing for me. I'm doing this like 30 day journaling challenge. Cause every time I do, it's like the gym, every time you do it, you're like, that was great. Why don't I do this more? You know, just taking a second with some coffee saying like, okay, how, how do I feel about anything? All of these things, what I just did, what I just learned, this podcast, just writing, kind of clarifying in your own mind, what you think about it before you hop into the next calendar or the next thing in your day that just tells you what you should be thinking. Yeah, you're totally right. And, and you're going to make a million mistakes. And if you, if you do things like journal or think about it, you're going to learn from those mistakes and then they're not mistakes. They're, you know, they're, they get you somewhere better down the road. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Have you, have you found time um, to get out, get outside these days, get some camping in hiking? Yeah, a little bit. Um, it's snowing here in Chicago right now, so we got to go outside and play in the yeah, snow. And you like too. suburbs, so you're like in like 
Are yeah, we... I'm in Hinsdale. I'm in Hinsdale, so I'm on the west side of uh, yeah. Chicago, or on the west western suburbs of Chicago. Yeah, a little bit. You know, with COVID, uh, we've been trying to keep our bubble pretty tight, just because we don't want to be those people that make people sick. Um, but uh, but you know, we love the outdoors. If we can, we uh, we spend most of our time somewhere where you're sitting on, in the sun. Uh, we've got a couple trips booked. I got a trip down to Texas booked, and we got a trip uh, to uh, to uh, Florida booked, so we can spend some time outside. But kind of play it by ear, trying to be safe. You know how that goes. It's tough, man. Yeah, the travel plans are all kind of. You're like, I, I want to plan it, and I hope it actually works. But half of you is like, oh, it may get canceled. So it's tough. But um, you know, any any kind of fresh air and sunshine, it's amazing. You know, back to the primal days of just something as simple as like those kind of ingredients. You know. It's true. And, and I think today, you know, I'm one of those guys that's connected kind of 24 seven just because that's my world. Right. And, yeah. and, and to be able to turn off social channels, to be able to shut all that down is really important. You just got to do it every once in a while. And, and when you're in a place with no cell signal, it's pretty amazing, at least for a couple of days. Yeah. You know, I love all that stuff, but I also love turning it off and getting some perspective. And then, uh, you know, once the cell signal picks back up in three or four days, the world usually is still okay. Right. Um, you're not, you don't have to approve any Wendy's tweets anymore. So you're, that's right. That's right. I'm not, that. That's right. That's cool, it's exactly right. <laughs> well, Hey, where can people reach out? If they want to connect to you, learn more about where, where do you want Burger King to go when they send you that <laughs> offer? You can't refuse. I don't, I, don't, I don't need any nasty, whatever. From Burger King. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and I'm on LinkedIn, you know, fortunately okay. my last name isn't, isn't Smith. So it's pretty easy to find me. R H O T E N. Uh, so you can get catch me on LinkedIn on Twitter. I'm more of a kind of a viewer than a poster there. I tend to post more to LinkedIn just because, uh, you know, I don't, I Twitter, I think you have to be either all in or not all in in order to actually get the most of it. That's why Wendy's was all in and I don't really have the energy to be all in. I got a million other things. Uh, yeah, I see you on there. A lot of retweets from you. A lot of good ones though. Good retweets. Yeah, so so ultimately, I'm I'm mostly on LinkedIn, so that's probably the best place to catch me is uh, is on LinkedIn. Awesome, sick. Okay, we'll do that, and uh, we will we will keep an eye open to see what happens and where you land. I'm I'm stoked. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'll, I'll probably go buy stock from the company wherever you go if they're publicly traded. Well, you, you know, it usually takes me a year or two to figure out what's going on, so you might want to wait just a little bit. I'll I'll, uh, I'll play the know. long game. You know, I bought Tesla at like thirty, man. <laughs> I'm like, pretty all right, Dan. If you bought Tesla at thirty, I mean, it's <laughs> going crazy right now. But uh, but usually it takes me six months or a year to figure out what's going on and get things in play. But uh, but I appreciate that. We've, okay. I've, I've been very fortunate in my career. Work with some awesome people, yeah. and uh, I still got a I still got a decade or two left to play here. So we'll see what happens. I love it. I love it. Well, thanks again, man, for being on here. Just great conversation. I learned a bunch. Um, it's been fun. Yep. Thanks, Casey. Keep doing what you're doing. It's good stuff. All right. And for those listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time. Yeah.